This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here with uh, political consultant Art Hackney. How you doing? Hey, great. I've been trying to get you on the podcast forever, so I ran into you at the uh, the Dan Sullivan event, which was a fundraiser uh, a couple days ago in Anchorage. That was a pretty big, I wasn't sure how many, you know, in the summertime, you never know, right? It's nice outside, but that was a pretty packed event, huh? It was. We swept that one out right until uh, the people started coming in the door because um, we were calling to get people, and you'd go down a list of 30 people, and 28 of them would be, you know, we'll send a check, but... We're off in the now, Alaska outdoors. Now, now, for the folks who don't know, I'm sure a lot of people listening know who you are. You've been a political consultant for many, many decades, Don Young. And, um, you know, you've been doing state races, you know, national races uh, for the state, presidential things going back a long time. But for the senator, it's six-year term. But I see, like, Lisa, Dan, other ones all over the country, they're kind of always raising money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the House is two years, so it makes more sense you got to raise but why, why is it that they're always kind of, because like in the, in the state Senate, you know, it's four-year term and you really don't even do anything for the first couple of years because you actually can't raise money. It's uh, you have to file and all that. So, wh- I mean, why are they, it's just kind of the way it works now. Has it always been that way where you have to raise money to, to kind of keep, keep, keep it, you know, keep, keep it competitive or to keep. Yeah. I mean, you know, these races have, have become so big that, you know, as, as I'm sure you've noticed, you, you look at them anymore and they can be. You know, I mean, never used to be this way, but um, they can be like twelve million dollar races. Huh? So, in fuck the the Warnock one in, in Georgia. That was that was that runoff was like a billion dollars, right? Because it was the control of the entire Senate, state U.S. Senate. Yeah, it's it's an insane amount of money. The only thing that I can say in defense of it is, you know, we spend more money on, uh, you know, Advil in America on headache medicines than we do on politics. So you got to put it in perspective. Yeah. So it's a lot of money, but it's there's a lot on. There's a lot riding on it, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, you know, Dan has not, he has, he has fundraisers, but not, not like at the pace that, you know, we used to do for a Don Young, because the minute you're elected, you're basically running, you know, for re-election. And for, so, for Alaska, our, you know, Murkowski and, and Sullivan were a much smaller population state. Some of these like California, New York, Georgia, Florida, these, these ones get really, I mean, we're kind of a cheap state, right? Compared to maybe the Wyoming's the same way, these smaller population states. Is that, is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, a, we're a cheap state, but not that cheap. I mean, these last few elections have been barn burners in terms of the amount of money and especially with the advent of, of super PACs because, um, you know, when, when, uh, Dan in 2014, um, decided to run against Begich to take back that seat that Begich had taken from Ted Stevens, um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the the entire nature of it was of such a, a national consequence that um, people were there were I think five or six super PACs that were I, mean, I remember I was spending money for baggage and I was, so you were fighting against that I was here and I uh, moved here in '04 and I run for state senate in 2012 so I was kind of plugged into the you know, political scene and 
I wish the landmine was around back then because there was, you're right, there was so much money. And that was the first cycle, I think, where I think we were we were just inundated with the mail. I mean, you had 100 or 200 pieces of mail over the course of several months. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the thing with Begich, the thing that I kept hearing that kind of seared in my memory was he was, I guess, the 60th vote or on the on the affordable care. That's what the mm. message they put out. But yeah, you're right. It was like, it was it was wild. I mean, just so much money was, was up here. You know, I think that was when... Um, GCI had kind of done KTVA and everybody yeah. was kind of aware of how much money they had made like channel two and KTVA that, that, that year with well, advertising. All, all of, all of the broadcasters make out, you know, like bandits, but everything is, you know, cyclical sort of like people like me, you know I mean? You can say that you make a lot of money during a political cycle, but then, you know, you go two years that you've got to survive before you come back into the next one. So it's a, uh, you know, it's uh, broadcasters make money, they invest it back in equipment. Um, but it's, so- so kind of describe what you do for the folks who don't maybe know who you are. I mean, you've worked on, like I said, like Ted Stevens, Don Young going back decades, but your dad was in the legislature, right? So maybe describe kind of like your, you know, growing up and your dad and how you got into politics and what you kind of do with your political with Hackney and Hackney, your firm. Yeah. I mean, my dad ran for uh, the legislature for probably, you know, what is strange anymore, but for all the right reasons. I mean, he just saw things that weren't being done in Juneau, he thought they were passing too many bills and that um, it was sort of like a red badge of courage to um, to say that you had passed bills when, in fact, he thought there were too many bills on the books and then it, it ought to be, you know, cleaned out, get rid of stuff that wasn't needed, simplify mm-hmm. the governmental process. And That's interesting how many people I hear say, I've passed so many, you know, I passed this bill, I passed that bill, and I mean, if I've, I've run a couple of times, but if I ever get in there, I, I kind of want to say I didn't pass any bill. I mean... <laughs> We don't, you know, maybe it's ironic you have to pass a bill to, like, repeal a law, but you don't see a lot of that going on. You don't see a lot of bills introduced to, to roll back or repeal things. Um, yeah, to his credit, now Senator uh, James Kaufman has been doing that um, and trying to get rid of things that are, like, unnecessary and, you know, dead wood that we're carrying along. But my dad got in it only for that reason, didn't even expect to get elected. How old were you when he, when he first ran? I was in high school, and um, so I worked on his campaign campaign in at that point in time in Fairbanks it was very different you simply had a hierarchy of I can't remember what it was but like the top seven people got elected so everybody just ran and then you just counted down and the top seven so like a big jungle got elected well in a manner of speaking mm. but it was it was just the highest vote getter down to the point where that's how many seats there were and the person who well, did, did they have this was it by district or just the whole Fairbanks area so what, what year was did he first win um, it would have been 1970, I believe. So kind of pipeline type era. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he had been um, working for, um, he was the, uh, he ran the governor's office for Keith Miller, who had become governor when Wally Hickel um, went, uh, Hickel chose him to head the interior department. And when Nixon. When Nixon, yeah. um, uh, you know, made Hickel uh, interior secretary. And Keith Miller moved up and became governor. My dad ran his office. So he was there in that um, incredibly historic moment where the uh, the first big lease sale was. That was a $900 million. Yeah, yeah, where $900 million, everybody's job yeah. hit the floor. And, Nobody and knew the, how to handle it. They had to charter a jet to come up from Seattle to because the money couldn't even be handled in Alaska. And, the craziest thing about that, I, I always tell people, the budget back then was $100 million. Mm. So this is like basically the equivalent of, of a... You know, what would it be? You know, five times, you know, $50, 60000000000 billion windfall today. That's mm-hmm. the equivalent of that's how much money we're talking about. If, if all of a sudden 
basically a permanent fund type, almost a permanent fund windfall came in. I mean, could you, could you fucking imagine mm-hmm. the, the lunacy that would ensue? Yeah, well, it did, of course, in a lot of ways. Um, legislatures after that, there was an awful lot of, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful compilation of all the different boondoggles that the state has been involved in, all of which have gone belly up, all of which have sucked enormous amounts of money, and all of which have made the case for why government shouldn't be in the business of doing things that the private sector um, is much better equipped to do, and yet we've done them again and again and again. There's a huge church over here that, you know, was once... Change point, yeah. Fish... Packing plant. Um, uh, that was a silver tongue guy who got the convinced the state to give him, I think, fifty million or whatever to sell out high yeah, end. Free, you know. Yeah, literally, it was for value added to do. You know, to high end fish food. product, right? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. like, and um, you know, that was just one of many. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a the ash heap of history of those things is pretty pretty big. What was uh, Keith? Uh, you know, I've. Not really ever thought much about him. I see his picture on the wall. This Keith Miller. What was do you? What was he like? I mean, he's kind of almost forgotten nowadays. Is if you say Keith Miller, most people probably wouldn't even know he was governor. What was, what was he about? He was a good and decent guy. I mean, I guess in one sense you could call him like a uh, Mike Pence. I mean, he was one who, um, you know, he couldn't get elected on his own, and he didn't. Um, was he a legislator? I think Keith was a legislator. I'd, I'd, I'd have to double check that. It's interesting because I came across um, a $2 bill that I have um, the other day while I was cleaning stuff out. And it is from the, uh, the it, it is signed by the governor and lieutenant governor, the entire state senate and the entire state house in the 67-68 session. Oh, you got to frame that. And it's, 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 what's fascinating about it is, you know, because it, it, it's just before Hickel went back to become the head of the Interior Department, so signed by Hickel and um, Keith Miller. But then you look at the, you know, the, um, the members of the State House included Ted Stevens and Don Young mm-hmm. and Tom Fink. I mean, it was, and then went on and on. You would recognize almost every name. The difference between it and what we have today is, I mean, the major players in in business and industry became legislators and got involved in the in the process um the same over in the senate i mean um hammond was in the senate at that time yeah there's a picture in juno outside the senate um chamber and it's like probably from the 90s but it was all the senate presidents you know whoever um at that point had still been around and he's sitting there you know he's i think he was governor at the time when they took the picture but it's a great you you know talking about is that Mm -hmm. picture Mm -hmm. hanging there and it's like jan fakes and i mean six five or six other people but He's just kind of, you know, I heard a funny story about him. Maybe you told me this, but some, maybe Ashley Reed told me this story, but he was governor and he was out in uh, D.C. and there was some like meeting of the governor. I don't know. It was like a meeting of the governors or something with, I think it was, um, who would have been president? It was probably in the, sec, you know, when he was governor in the, you know, seven, so it might have been Nixon or somebody like, or Carter or something. Um, but he was at this event and somebody said, you know, who the fuck is this guy? Get him out of here. And they said, it's the governor of Alaska because he had like a cigar. <laughs> you know, they were like, who the-? and then and there, it was Carter, I think. Yeah, because then there was a dinner and and he was telling a story that like weeks prior he had um, was flying and, and there was like a crash, like a plane crash. And he landed to help, you know, like somebody was still alive and he had like, he's telling the story to like the president and these like other people. And somebody said like, Hell, Governor, they let you fly a little airplane when around. He goes, he goes, he goes. Fuck, half of them wish I would crash, die. <laughs> but he sounded like a real like 
yeah. character. In yeah, Hammond. I had the blessing of having having known every governor of the state of Alaska, um, and um, yeah, Hammond. Um, I've got lots lots of stories with him. I mean, you know, he was he was dubbed the Bushrat governor. Um, but people think of him as such a, a, a low-key, um, unpolitical type. But he was a—he had an assassin's sense. I mean, his his campaigning with Hickel was um, take no prisoners, and Jay was just as much a part of that as Hickel was. So it was some pretty rough and tumble politics during that era, even though he comes across as just this wonderful woodsy outdoor outdoor guy. But um, yeah, he was never happier than flying around. I, I've. I've had the blessing because of working for from like 1980 on with the entire delegation. There was a 20 year period where I handled Alaska's entire delegation. So how did you Frank get and Don. So your dad was in legislature in high school. I mean, is that how you kind of got into politics? Like, how did you, did you go to like, where, you know, you went to college, I assume, but where did you, when did you kind of start doing this consulting? Well, I had worked on, on my dad's campaign and, um, had a taste for it, but, um, I actually, um, uh, as my dad got in the legislature, I got, when I left high school, uh, it's interesting because the, the state budget was only $175 million, um, when I was in, when I was in uh, my senior year. And you went to you, Lathrop High School up Fairbanks. in Fairbanks. Yeah, you were born in Anchorage, right? I was born in Anchorage. Um, but um, we had moved to Fairbanks, and uh, that's where my dad got into politics. But um, the, um, the quality of education at Lathrop was astronomical. We were in the top, like, three, four percentile of SAT scores in the country. Very good education. And as a result, when I left and uh, went to the University of Alaska, my first year there was stuff that I had learned in my sophomore and junior year in high school, and I was bored like mm-hmm. tears. And um, my best friend had been an exchange student from Australia um, in in my senior year at, at um, Lathrop. And uh, so I got bored, and I just... Uh, I picked up and left and went to Australia. So I started traveling to Australia, um, literally right out, out of, you know, the first year in college. Yeah, we've talked about that because I, I did my year in 2017. So we, we, you and I have talked a lot about that. It must have been, what was that the, what year was that? What, I the, first went there in 71. Oh my gosh, that would have been a probably wild the, time just for like an Alaskan was, to go was. to Australia back then. I, I have this beautiful um, line drawing Um when I first went over there, it was my first trip overseas. I'd, I'd traveled, you know, before out of Alaska, but it was my first overseas trip. Um, just one year out of high school and uh, Pan Am back then. Um, and Where'd you fly to, like, L.A.? or no, Back then it was um, Anchorage, Seattle, or Fairbanks, Seattle, and um, Seattle to uh, Honolulu or Seattle. Um, pretty, pretty much the only way I ever went was Seattle to Honolulu, and then it was Honolulu to um, uh, either... Um, Sydney, Nandi first um, in uh, in uh, on the uh, um, Fiji, yeah, or American Samoa, and then on from there. Oh, so you couldn't even do a straight shot. No, no. See, when I flew, stop one place or the other. When I flew back, uh, I flew on. Uh, I think it was a uh, Jetstar. Anyways, I flew from Sydney to Honolulu. Mm-hmm. They have a nonstop, which was really nice because About nine hours. Yeah. Nine hours because the LA to Sydney is like fifth, fourteen or fifth, whatever it is. But then you can kind of hang out in Honolulu and you fly in the Alaska. So it's, it is much more convenient to go, come, come through Hawaii. But, so when you got there, you're, what, you're like 19 or 20 and you're, you never left. I mean, that, would you go to Sydney? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my friend's father was really connected. And, and so I, I had a, a nice house to stay in. And, and uh, we had, um, you know, extra family cars. And, Do you remember and where it was? What part, what part of Sydney? Mm, yeah, in Epping. Um, 
um, you know, not not far, just part of Sydney proper. It was obviously Sydney was much smaller then, but it was still. I, I stayed in Newtown. I don't know if you were. That was around back then. That's kind of the little yeah. Newtown was there, hipper hipster area. But oh, yeah. that was that was, a, that was a pretty some characters in Newtown. Yeah, and I've 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 lived in in a lot of them because I I would spend up to six months there because um, I would um, I would work here in Alaska in the spring and summer, and then I would turn and go to Australia and be there for six months. So you got spring summer here, and then spring mm-hmm. summer there. Which is so how, how much time did you end up like spending there total or over a period of time? Mm, years and years. So. Um, I mean, I just finished my 25th trip there, um, and I just spent two months there this year, all of December and January. When you were younger, were you, I mean, was it pretty, like every year, you said, for several mm-hmm. years? Mm-hmm. Sometimes twice a year. Were you working? Three times a year, huh? you have a work, like work visa? Or? Yeah, I, I worked for um, uh, Wien Airlines coming out of high school, and that was the era where you had travel benefits, and... Um, you know, because of being the pipeline and everything, there was never any lack of work. So you had sort of a built-in job. And so I could work. And, I mean, it cost me 180 bucks round trip to fly to Australia. It cost me 30 bucks round trip to fly to Hawaii. So we'd go over to Hawaii for a weekend and back. Um, so I was following these fires in Lahaina. Even, even with... Times. Oh, yeah, that's like these fires are... I can't believe how... We were there a year ago in Maui. My parents had their 50th anniversary. But even with, like... 180 or 30, even with inflation, that still seems like a pretty friggin' good deal. Even if you adjust it for inflation, I mean, it's still... Well, and the wonderful thing about it, the biggest blessing I have, in my opinion, um, in my life is um, it also applied to um, a direct family. And uh, my parents would never have have done this. They're a working class family. And I was able to send my parents on all of the dream trips of their lifetime. Also, 180 bucks round trip. I sent them to Israel where they'd always dreamed of going. I sent them so, to England and I sent them to New Zealand. So what we, you know, there was a partnership, I guess, with all the, the airlines and mm-hmm. you could do a kind of a deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It, so when did you, so at some point you obviously started doing the political consulting. I mean, when, when did that kind of start here? Well, um, when I, um, came back from Australia, uh, and, um, Long story gets into another whole thing. This woman that I've just um, connected back up with, who is my the love of my life, that um, we had been together starting in 74, 75, 76, and we broke up in 76 um, only because I was I sort of didn't have any direction in my life. I mean, I was I was literally the ultimate poet philosopher. I mean, I would travel the world. I just wanted my 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 whole approach has been to sort of understand the world and sort of it's worked pretty well in politics doing that. But um, so I came back and I started a television production company um, from virtually nothing with an old guy who, who used to do all the engineering for the original KTVA. And we set up a thing called Alaska Television Productions. And um, in the process of doing that, politicians would come in. And so I started to having worked with my father, I knew the turf, I knew all the players so started doing political ads for people. And this uh, was supposed to be like kind of dinosaur equipment. I mean, big camera. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't oh, even yeah. imagine what kind of well, equipment. And, and also dinosaur equipment because there were some some other ones, but in terms of what you could afford and how you had to amortize it, you'd, you'd like um, a place would go out of business. And I remember we picked up two huge Hitachi studio cameras. I mean, these are like cameras that are like that long, that wide, yeah. that huge. We even would haul them up onto the North Slope set them up on drilling platforms and film stuff, which was... Did you guys have a lot of competition or...? Not a lot. It was um, Connections, um, which uh, was our our big competition. Um, and uh, other than that, there were a couple of other small people who, who would do stuff, but... Um, 
we're, we're, now you're, you're today kind of associated with Republican Republican politics. Um, was that the same back then, or was it kind of just whoever came to you and? Basically, it was whoever came, and um, I basically, um, you know, started doing it with, uh, you know, you, you got to know all the personalities, and you slowly, as you got more um, successful, got to choose carefully the people that you worked with because you worked with people that you sort of actually did want to work with because um, it gets very depressing very quickly when you work with somebody who wants to run for all the wrong reasons and you don't personally like or trust. Mm-hmm. So you learn that as time goes on. But I worked with a number of Democrats initially. It caused me a lot of grief later on. I mean, but they were old school Democrats back when the when my dad was in the legislature. You know, he had a huge. He was known as an Attila the Hun um, back then, and he's actually considered by these people today as a liberal. But um, he you know, was the right wing. But he would work with people like Bob Ziegler, one of the most left left wing people, and they would make deals and figure out. How do you, how you get a little something, I get a little something, and we keep the world moving. It's funny how much things change or perspective changes. I'm reading this book now about Ray, Reaganland mm-hmm. by, um, um, oh my gosh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the name. I'll think of the name, the author in a second. But he wrote Nixon Land and before the Story Trek, kind of the Goldwater era, Nixon. And, and um, you know, the, the book kind of starts with the 76 election and how, how you know, uh, Fort, Reagan lost to Ford in the primary and then, you know, Ford, Carter kind of smoked Ford. Um, and a lot of it's, you know, about the, the time when Reagan's rising, um, after 77, but Carter today, I mean, he's praised by Democrats and he's a democratic president. That's fair. But if you like looked at the guy's positions, then he'd be, he'd be almost a conservative today. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, pro-life, um, there was this whole ERA fight back then and this gay, right. I mean, all these things and I mean, economic positions. I mean, this guy is like. Yeah. Would not that, that those positions then would be considered, I think, probably conservative, you know, at least center right positions today. Yeah. And not, I wish, not popular with the Democratic Party for sure. And I wish more people spent the time to have a perspective of all of that, of how we are all human Rick, beings. Rick Perlstein's the guy's name, the author. Uh, yeah. But we're all human beings. And um, I know very few people who want to quote unquote destroy America. Well, we live in a, in a society where half the country thinks the other half is trying to destroy it and vice versa. But I know very, very few people like that. And I have had the blessing of doing this for so many years that, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a low opinion of Congress as, as society in, a general, in general does because I've met most of them and most of them are in there. You know, it's a pretty rarefied air. It's tough to go in and, and um, you know, get through and win. And, and most people go there for a very particular reason to do something that they feel very passionately about. And they all feel passionately, and they all have very strong sense of what's going to make America better. It's a it's a very healthy system, as long as there is the interplay, and it isn't uh, you know us versus them. How much of it do you think? I was talking with some friends last night about this. You know, everything's so polarized now, and a lot of it's because of social media and TV and internet and your phone, Twitter. But like you know, I'm, I'm reading this book now, but I've also read book about Nixon and the, you know, the sixties, there was assassinations. There was, you know, you know, protests that got out of hand. There was Kent state, there was democratic convention in 68, you know, but this book I'm reading now, I mean, in the late seventies, there was the inflation had started. There was huge fights over the ERA, Phyllis Shafley in this, in this gay rights, um, uh, ordinance. They, 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 uh, repealed in Miami, um, social issues were, were big, were big. I mean, it's like, I'm reading that book and I'm thinking like, Fuck, it's kind of like almost today. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the same issues. It's economic stuff. You know, it's foreign policy. It's it's a, at the time it was Iran and 
and Soviet Union, and, and you know Carter was accused of being easy on the Soviets when he was trying to make a deal on on a tre- in treaties and and, and and on nukes and but like it, it just I think everything's so fucking amplified now that you can just go on your phone right open and see all this shit <clears throat> and and it just it's just so visible. But I think it's always been there. Yeah. These, well, these, yeah, these big go, issues have always been there. Yeah, and if you go back, you, you know, the original founding fathers, the names they called each other, the kinds of campaigns that were run right back. Fuck, they the shot time. each other. I mean, yeah. they, they, they got in duels. Yeah, and, and, and literally called each other, you know, grotesque, you know, caricaturists of their, their little, like, what Lincoln looked like and making fun of him and all that. I mean, it was nasty stuff. I mean, they were accusing, you know, Adams and Jeffrey, yeah. uh, that whole, you know, infidelity and uh, kids. I mean, all just like yep. wild shit. Yeah, it was. It was. So it's, it's you know, again, it gets back to that overriding joke of the fact that we have a terribly flawed system that just happens to be the best system on the planet Earth. So all the rest are a hell of a lot worse. Than but like that. these, but these phones and the social media stuff, I mean, if this, if this stuff would have been around in the 60s, I mean, I think there could have very well been a civil war. I mean, think about all the divides, sure. the, the civil oh, rights and, yeah. and, and the assassination. I mean, I mean, could you imagine how people are getting like assassinated like they were in the 60s or the weather underground and bombings and, yeah. you know, the, the 68, you know, the convention. I mean, they were like beaten protesters and. Oh, no, you know, it, was, it was something, something. And, and, you know, the whole Vietnam thing that I, I grew up through. Um, it's, um, yeah, you could hypothesize about anything, but yes, things have been roller coaster nonstop since America was founded. But it's still the way the system was set up. I remember when Newt Gingrich, um, he had been a bomb thrower on the back bench um, because Republicans weren't in control. And in '94, um, they shocked themselves even by taking control of Congress. And um, Newt became the. Um, Speaker of the House. This, and this he didn't like even the, expect it. And this was the big blow to Clinton, right after yeah. his first term. Yeah. You know, his first election, he just loses yeah. everything. And and as 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 Gingrich admitted, he he wasn't even prepared for it. But he came up with he's a very 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 brilliant person. He just sometimes too brilliant for his own good. Um, came up with that um, contract with America, mm-hmm. and and they started you know to to push things through. But um, he was giving a speech over in Europe, and I remember there was a person from the crowd who said you know, you've been throwing bombs all this time and now you're in charge. Why can't you just go in and do all these things you talked about? And to his credit, Gingrich said, that is the blessing of America. I can't do that and nobody else can do it in the other direction. It takes you a whole career sometimes to get one thing done. That is the biggest blessing of American politics. I think what people don't, don't, don't maybe think about sometimes is, and the founders talked about this, you know, they made it intentionally difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so if any extreme... And they, they put all the checks in. Like, I, I go to Juno and I've gotten really, you know, versed at how this thing works in, in Alaska. But, I mean, every, every, within every maneuver, within every this type of, of vote or whatever procedure, there's always another way. I mean, there's always a check. There's always a check built in. And this goes to the, you know, founding of the country. There's always, you can't do anything just unilateral. There's always a check built in. And, and it it's, was, like you said, on purpose designed like that. And it's, it, and that's why people get so angry when something can't be done. Some huge reform, big sweeping, you know, thing. It just, it just shouldn't be easy. That's right. And it's a pretty simple argument to make. If something that you want to have done can be done just when you're in power, something you don't want to have mm-hmm. done could happen just as fast going the complete other direction. And it's sort of like, you know, I mean, I would liken it to, if you take it down to the smallest form, there's one native corporation here, Eklutna, which is so small that um, it changes complete direction and, and leadership 
on, on a regular basis mm-hmm. by two votes can make the difference of, of the philosophy that controls the corporation. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple and that changes the whole structure of what the rules, I mean, what that corporation is going to do, what it might invest in. And, and I mean, it, it completely changes. Fortunately, America is buffered from that by all these checks and balances. What do you think? I want to talk about the, the parties over time. We can start with the Republicans. I mean, they, they've really, since Trump era, I guess, they've really kind of gone to a different place, you know? I mean, the, the, the whole culture is like shifting. I mean, the Democrats now are for war, and the Republicans are with Ukraine, right? Or, and when it comes to all these, like, you know, like the, now the Republicans are with Russia uh, or so, Putin. And so, not, but I'm saying generally. But, but in the past, it was like, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the Democrats or the, or the liberals would be like kind of, you know, sympathizing with the communists or the Soviets. Everything's kind of gone on its like, you know, on its end. But let's maybe start with the Republicans. They've, they've, it's just Trump mania, right? I mean, he controls 40% of the party, maybe 35, 40. He's up in the, I mean, I just listened to this podcast. It said that Trump's lead right now, nobody has ever lost a primary in modern history, like going back, you know, a long time, either party with a lead that much. In fact, Nobody's ever lost a primary with a lead half as that much. You know, he's at 53, 54%. You know, I think they said the last time somebody lost a primary, they had to be, you know, at this point below 25%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been some pretty dramatic swings. I mean, Clinton was a nobody, and he, he had, I mean, he was literally given, I mean, he was a pinprick trying to go into the Democratic nomination that year. That was a shock to everybody. I mean, all those things can change. Carter, too, kind of came, he kind of came out of yeah. nowhere. And Carter, I mean, again, it gets back to the world I live in. I mean, Carter's was an example of, of a brilliant strategy. He was an unknown, unknown person, and what he did is, from a political consulting um, sense, was absolutely brilliant. He went around and looked at all of the Democrats who had just run for, con- for, for Congress, um, House or Senate, who had lost because in each state they had obviously built up a whole, you know, um, they're all close races, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, they lost. And he went around and went to every one of those losing candidates because he knew they still had this fire in their belly, you know, and they still had a huge constituency of people that they controlled who had supported them. And he would travel the country and just stay on the couches of these losing candidates. I mean, he literally slept on people's couches and spare bedrooms and things around the country and just tapped into those, those bases that had already been built. That's how he got elected. And he was, you know, governor and then he, he was a military career, naval career, but um, he won pretty resoundingly in 76. It was not a small, I mean, even like Jerry Falwell had sent him a letter and recommended some people and he had gotten kind of some conservative people that were not, this guy's not so bad, but then, he kind of blew it. I mean, they started yeah. making really bad decisions, um, political decisions. Yeah, well, it gets back to being the classic example of, um, you know, why elect everybody. we got to elect an outsider. I mean, it's the same damn thing we have here. People who seem like they should know better, who, um, you know, I mean, even like, you know, when, when Fagan was on the air here and he would he would talk about, we should just have turn limits so you just, I mean, all new legislators every year. I mean, what a crazy idea. I mean, I, the last four years in Juneau, this, this time, half the House is new, almost half the House, and it's pretty disastrous. People just don't know what's going on. It's like, I've been there, going down there five years now, and it took me probably two or three years to really get like a, a, a pretty firm grasp on how things work. And even then, I'm still not even, it's like you're, 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 you're maybe yeah, halfway you, there. And I would say you probably know more than, than, than most legislators do in terms of the, the inner workings. I mean, that's why your writing is so, so um, I think, on target on some of this stuff. That well, it's, it, it, but it, what it does is it gives a reason, which 
it's not in your case because you're not a lobbyist, but why lobbyists become so powerful because they sit there and they learn all of the ins and outs well, of I've, every issue and, and people who don't know better are, will call them and say, I, I just don't get this issue. <laughs> you know, well, I've it. been pretty lucky going down there to have the freedom to kind of, you know, there's been staff that have been down there for a long time, but they're very insular. They're in an office, they're doing one thing, yeah. but I've been free to roam and do, but then I've also, you speak about lobbyists, I've, through many, many lobbyists, they've, they've kind of been very helpful and i kind of joke yep. that i've, I've had the, no. my, my first year was the 101 then the 201 then the three you know you graduate to these and then you figure out like why they're so successful because they know where the levers are mm-hmm. they know who to talk to they know the mach- the machinations they know the procedural things they know you know just like the, the the simple thing of you know obviously you want to get the governor to put something in the budget right that's the best but then if you do it for the house you got to make sure the senate you got to mm-hmm. no, no, and then there's 60 legislators but about eight matter you know, I was in the public lounge a couple of years ago and this group came in, some nonprofit group, and they were talking, I was just on my computer and they were overheard them talking and they were like, oh yeah, we're, we're, make, we're so, we, got, we met with 20 legislators or 20, we met with all these legislators and they're talking about their issue and they're, and, and I'm listening to it and I'm, I'm just, I, I almost wanted to say like, my God, you guys, you guys have done really nothing. I mean, you've had conversations, but, but, but none of that means anything for what they wanted. Yeah. I mean, everybody serves a serves a different different role in it. I mean, I've formed a good relationship with some lobbyists over the years because it's, um, you know, a lobbyist has to live to fight another day, so they need to keep a relationship with a legislator. Um, I'm more of a SWAT team guy, so the role that that I can play is, you know, people can can listen to the arguments that may be very very salient that a that a um, lobbyist makes to them, but. When I come in and sit down and say, "Okay, here's what's here's here's the deal," you know, we're going to spend six hundred thousand dollars telling everybody in the state how freaking stupid what you're trying to do is and how wrong it is, and that makes their face turn white because they get that when you start going out and 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 moving public opinion, because most of them, even in this this plugged in day and age, most people do not have a clue until you draw their attention into something so um I mean, most people don't even know who their legislators are yeah or their assembly people i mean the average person they're they're working they got family they got other things they're doing they just i've, I've run for office so many times and you knock on the door and you help mm-hmm. do campaign people are just like what who what yeah. what who what are you talking election what and that's where i learned this whole business and, and and made a reputation was simply in the fact of making you know you want this to happen here's how you know, here's the path to get there and, and, and then getting there, whether it's to stop, uh, you know, a gas reserves tax that 80% of the public thought, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. Um, how do you stop it? Well, so when you shot, shot yourself in the foot, yeah, <laughs> that, that video, we, we ran that video yeah. on our election coverage. We had some old, old, we dug up a bunch of old political ads yep. and we ran, ran them as kind of commercials. Yep. I've never seen anything move numbers faster than that because again, um, the problem Republicans have is they want to put up charts and graphs and things that, that just literally go in, you know, through people's in one ear and out the other. And, um, that, you know, Democrats are more successful because they'll bring out a kid with a tear running down its face and, and um, you know, emotionally get you on one side of an issue or the other. But that's why, again, a metaphor is, you know, if, if you can distill things down to a metaphor that people can understand and, and agree with, you're going to move numbers. Now, speaking of moving numbers, um, when, when Ethan Berkowitz ran against Don Young and was that 08 maybe or when was mm-hmm. that? I think yeah. it was around then. It was 08. He was up quite a bit, right? I mean, he was in the lead, Ethan, before two weeks out, three weeks out. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. What What did you do there? Because Don Young had 
a couple, you know, in this 50, almost 50 years, he had a couple of close calls, and that was that was one of them, right? I've been through them all, yep. And 2008 was, was double close calls because, first of all, there is his landslide against Sean Parnell, who Don's own pollsters had predicted that he was going to lose by a mile to Sean. And what, what did he win by? A few hundred? It was a couple hundred or something? Seventy-six, I think. A very small number of votes. Wow. But it was a landslide because he was projected by his own pollsters to lose by 10%. Why did he win? Um, because of... My media, I mean, uh, I I was pretty, I think, fairly brutal on um, Sean Parnell in the way that, I, you know, I don't, Is that where know, the people cap- argue about negative advertising, and I don't think it's, it's, it's negative. It's a matter of going in and when you let people draw conclusions. So, for example, um, Sean, Sean was, a, uh, he's a wonderful person. I love him to death and um, supported him when he became governor, but... Um, you know, he was he he didn't want to tell Don he was going to run against him because it made him uncomfortable, as he put it. So he sprung it on him. You know, at a at a um, AFN convention, that's where Don first heard about it. And so you know, you'd follow it through and you just look for things that people can understand. So I mean, I did a whole series of ads that that really sort of just built up the you know Don being an SOB, but he's our SOB. And at the end of the day, when it comes down to the tough things and it's how hard it is with a, such a, you know, a singular congressperson out of 435, you know, who do you want, Don Young or Sean who? Is that where the Captain Zero came from, that campaign? Captain, didn't didn't yeah. Don say that? Or Don something? said Captain Zero, and uh, we never used that in ads. That, but that, I mean, for, was, for whatever reason, that's, that, that did stick. I don't know why that stuck. But. Yeah, but you had to, you had to build that, that case, but I mean, it was, um, you know, it was true. I mean, Sean just didn't have a fire in his belly. And so the election came down to the, the, the that moved it at the very end was a whole series of radio ads that just sort of, um, in, in a couple of TV ads that just sort of just made it the case of, you know, here's the things we're facing. And who do you want? Don Young, who goes in like that? Or Sean Parnell, who's too nervous to, to get anybody upset about anything. Was it hard to get through the noise with, I mean, I, there was the Palin stuff, there was the presidential, there was like... A lot going on in 2000, Obama, you know? Sure. It's just a matter of you choose what you're going to do and how you do it. And that's what I do for a living, and I do it extremely well. That's the point. You've got to punch through. You've got to make sure that people hear. That's why I argue all the time with all the people who come in from out of state who buy things according to what's called the gross rating points, which I think are basically meaningless. You're, you know, you're looking at frequency. I mean, when, when you've got people listening to all the different radio stations we've got, first of all, you want to profile them and see, you know, how I, I profile what, you know, your second choice, and you may have a favorite station, but you, if you didn't like the song, you hear a song you don't like on it, you might have another one you pop over to. So I would early on sort of profile audience to see where they defaulted to so you could narrow down what you would buy um, so that you could get the people you were going after. If you didn't get them one place, you got them another and um, uh, and it's and it's all about frequency. It's a matter of you've got to, you know, if you don't, if you, if you haven't heard a message at least three times, it's not going to be retained. If you hear it over ten times, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. So you got to get the bulk of the, the the voting population to hear things more than three and less than ten. I mean, this was this was kind of going to that too much that that Al Gross had fucking bear doctor shit. I mean, and that was God, that, that that was just too much. You know, it was it, it was, but it was also then in the fact of of quality, not not just the quantity, but the quality. Because um, if he had just run his bear doctor at the beginning. It, I mean, he had um, high-level um, production values to the things that he did. He was he was paying for a, a top-flight team. Mark Putnam was doing the TV stuff. It was beautiful stuff. 
But the, the, the whole bear doctor thing, it did have a mystique. It made anybody, when you first heard it, it sounded like, wow, this is like Mr. Alaska. This is like, um, you know, Jay Hammond on steroids. But, you know, everybody analyzes something more and more the more they listen to it. So it should have gone in, gone out, done its job, and then you move on to the next level. And instead, they, they not only just kept it going, they kept it going, and then they well, kept it, it going. It, and it, they it got it going so ubiquitous, more. and then people started digging into him. And they, and they found out they found out about the bear story wasn't even really what happened. And, and so started, his buddy shot the bear. And, yeah, and it's the worst thing in the world. It's, you know, is you, you then would start to listen to the ad, and you would roll your eyes and think, geez, Louise, you know, enough. So what happened after he beat Parnell Young? What talk, well, well, talk about how the Berkowitz, how you how, well, how you beat Berkowitz? It, it, there was a number of factors going into two thousand and eight. Um, you know, Don was was um, had ethics complaints against him. There were all sorts of you know his money being spent on legal stuff. Wasn't something in Florida it, happened, or yeah, a, a lot of it had to do with with. Um, uh, the 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 road in Florida. It's actually a very sensible road. It's like anything, you know. He was head of transportation. It's a you know where do you have a peel off, and somebody's going to benefit when you peel off, a, you know, a super highway. It's, and and so the the question is, did you do it for the sake of the general public, or did you do it for the sake of the people who would end up, you know, building a development and all? So, um, you know, those kind of things get argued. I mean, nothing nothing ever came of it. Um, but it was it was the point is that was the dynamic. There were there were accusations flying and all, and so you had. Um, I mean, Sean had um, the club for growth, for example, supporting him against Don, and I had to I had to take them apart as not being, um, you know, in in touch with with what most Alaskans wanted. But um, we were outspent. Um, five to one in that primary election. And then going up against, um, once we won by that landslide of 376 votes, um, yeah, in, in Berkowitz, we were outspent six to one. The Democratic Party was everybody. There was a feeding frenzy to go after Don. I mean, in enormous numbers of, of negative ads. Six I, to I one, remember we vividly at the time, like, like I think, as just, you know, I moved here in 04 and as not like a very political person then, but just somebody who had paid some basic attention. I remember thinking, man, this... Don Young guy might lose. It's so interesting. If you look at, you know, Stu Rothenberg, who has, you know, been around forever and ever and ever, the Rothenberg Report doing projections of races and things. If um, if you go back and Google him up, he'll call his biggest, his biggest screw up in his entire career was 2008 Don Young projecting that. I mean, he said, with, you know, definitively, Don Young is toast. Don so, Young is gone. So how much was Berkowitz ahead, like a month, you know, in like, like October? He was ahead 11 points. Holy we shit. That's where Sean is truly the, uh, or... Um, and you, uh, you, you had, you saw the polls. You were like, fuck, uh-huh. we're, we're fucked. No, I didn't. Not at all. Because um, me, a poll is, is nothing. A poll is what you change. I mean, that's that's the, the, the thing that I use all the time in, in conferences and all. Um, that's where you where you where you get your focus because I mean I have moved numbers that have impacted races that goes on I can name other ones where we won always in the final ten days. You can move numbers like crazy in the final ten days. Also, when people start paying more attention, is about you know two weeks out they start really mm-hmm. getting more, a little more 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 clued in. But 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 polling is I mean everybody talks about polling being bad but, but being it's public polling public polling which is really just sort of saying where is the candidate at vis-a-vis other candidates that's what's happening right now with Trump. 
But what you're what you're really interested in is what's moving people. What are they voting for? What's motivating them to vote a particular way? What's in their mind? What are their their hopes and dreams and fears and all that? And so um, again, after winning that primary, um, Berkowitz literally was um, you know going back and measure, measuring the drapes. I mean, he, it, it, it's it's a funny story because I'd run into him for years afterwards, and he would just sort of get livid in a funny way of of the fact that it just was stolen out from under him because. All we did is I just worked, everybody abandoned on, everybody thought he was over. It was just literally me and the pollster who were left. And this is this is the same year that Baggage won against, against Ted, Baggage beat Ted Stevens. No. 2008, right? Oh, yeah. no, that was 10. No, no that, that was eight, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, same year, because you eight to 14. So, so, so you had, you had, yeah, a Democrat beat, the first time a Democrat had won statewide, yeah. I guess, since Knowles, right? Yeah. So 10 years, 10 years, 98 yeah. was when, no, or no, no, 90, 94 was when Knowles, no, not 98, his second time, yeah. So 10 years, a Democrat had been elected statewide. Yeah. But um, the, um, the, the thing about it with, with Berkowitz was, I mean, we had a really good pollster that I had brought up a long time ago, um, Hans Kaiser of More Information um, out of Portland, not, not Ivan Moore. And um, um, I, just, I just said, you know, forget everything else. What you know? What is what it is that will move numbers? Where what is the one issue that that people would be really movable on? And it was very very simple. It's um, the Bush tax cuts were due to expire, and um, Berkowitz would vote to let them expire um, along with Nancy Pelosi because uh, the Democrats didn't like tax cuts, and Don Young would vote to keep them in place. So we dropped everything, and I did. Um, I did this. Uh, we got old, old World War II footage: um, aircraft carriers moving, airplanes taking off. Flying. I've, I've seen. I've seen that out. Yeah. yeah, and and it was simply one thing and one thing only. We found a study that showed that if those tax cuts were to expire, um, an Alaska family, and sure, it's not your average Alaska family, but it's it's a it's a it was a study. So it, that's that's what drove Berkowitz nuts afterwards. Is that um, it was a family making $50,000 a year would see a 190% tax increase. So as the bomb hit, it would be, you know, if this happens, if you vote for Berkowitz, you're going to see a 190% tax increase and move numbers like bloody crazy. In 10 days, we moved those numbers back and Don won by almost 5%. So it was, you know, pretty good swing to bring him, bring him back. And, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, but that's why I learned, and there's many other races like that. I mean, the same thing happened when, when Dunleavy was running for governor the first time. Um, I didn't come into that campaign until 10 days out because um, I was called saying, you know, Begich is, is he's moved ahead. He's one point ahead, and it, the movement is all in his direction. Um, I was approached by the super PAC and just said, what could you do if we gave you some money? And I said, turn me loose. I mean, I know exactly what to do. And I just did a whole series of ads. Again, I don't do what you'd call negative. I do ads that just sort of make people draw a conclusion, reminding people of things that Mark Begich had done and just moved numbers like crazy. Um, 10 days out, it was Begich uh, one point ahead of Dunleavy and moving ahead further. And we just turned it and started moving it steadily every single day, and it moved back to about a seven-point lead. Um, it's it's just you can do anything if you just keep your focus and you look at what's going to move numbers and you and you and you do it. You know, never throw up your hands. You can move anything. One of my proudest elections was George Wirtz for mayor. Nobody thought George could win. Nobody even knew who he was. He had some well-known Republicans running initially against him, but. Um, uh, 
that's where Begich was originally going to become mayor. And um, in, in that particular one, I will never forget election night because Ivan Moore had told um, Mark a week out, you've won it. It's over. It's like done. You're going to be the next mayor. You're going to win by 10 points or more. And um, George Wirtz being the Marine that he was, I mean, we just never stopped. We never stopped. We continued to doing what we would do to move numbers every single day, right up until the last hour before the polls closed. And um, uh, as, as the numbers came in, it just crept closer and closer and closer. And George nudged up past Begich by a very, very, very small margin. And I, I will never forget, it was in the, um, the Marriott Hotel back when the bar was off to the right in the lobby before you went up to, or when there was still campaign headquarters stuff. And then I remember looking in there, seeing, you know, Mark with all the people, Reamer and, and uh, um, what's her name was now at Jugach and, and Ivan and all. They were just all in there with just tears pouring down their faces because, you know, and that's where I, I saw the big difference between Republicans and Democrats is Democrats work for a candidate because they're all going to have a job and go along with that candidate. <laughs> Republicans basically do it and then go back to their jobs, you know, mm-hmm. while the person gets elected. Begich, um, so Begich, did Begich beat him the next time? Yes. Yeah, so he, yeah so I was, moved back to D.C. Um, um, after that race because when um, Bush got elected, because I had um, been the guy for George Bush in Alaska, <clears throat> um, I got offered to become the president of an agency that um, handled the National Rifle Association and uh, that had done a good portion of Ronald Reagan's stuff. So I moved back and became the president of that. Um, so I was back in D.C. Um, when when uh, George had to run for re-election. So going back to what I was asking a, few, a while back about kind of the parties, like the Republicans have really in the last five, you know, eight years, I guess nine years, changed a lot. Yep. You know, what do you attribute? I mean, what do you, is that going to change ever? Or is this kind of the new party, this, you know, Trump party of Trump? Well, I do agree with what Peggy Noonan wrote Um probably a year ago, less, maybe less than a year ago, um, where, where she said, uh, you know, if, if Trump wins the primary and, and becomes the nominee for the party, basically the Republican party, as we know it is dead. And I would not disagree. I mean, I'm fed up with both parties at, at the moment. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but, um, boy, I mean, I am utterly and completely fed up. Well, with there's this thing them. now with, uh, I saw an interview with Joe Manchin and, um, mm was the ambassador a huntsman mm. they're talking about this uh no labels thing and you know i think even murkowski had mentioned she if it was trump biden she'd vote for you know this other ticket maybe mm-hmm. you know well, so the that, numbers the numbers are there there's a, there's a lot of posters I mean, ross perot got what 20 percent, right i mean he got yeah wasn't yeah. a small number but but and this one is a particular it just depends on on what that ticket might be i mean um people are freaking out on both sides i mean there are arguments being made that that would you know help trump get elected there's also arguments that it would help biden get i mean the republic the republicans in a lot of ways have kind of lost it but the democrats too i mean that party has gotten this, yeah. this woke stuff and the extreme and and, and i talked to so many democrats and in, in juno or in politics that are that are like i call like normal democrats and yep. you got normal republicans and normal democrats and and so many normal democrats to talk to privately will tell me how insane some of this stuff is yeah but none of them want to talk about it or speak out about it because they don't want to be the the ass end of the you know they don't want to be the on the you know focus of the attack yeah from these from these people who are who are fucking lunatics some of them and it's just mob they're, they're, kind of twitter online social media and whether it's you know about, about this lgbt stuff or gender stuff or transgender or whatever it might be or just any oil development uh, 
that's maybe lesser to an extent. A lot of the social stuff, but it's uh people are people are sick of it. But but nobody, not a lot of people want to speak out against it. No, and the same is true on the Republican side. I mean, it's the yes, same thing yes. you see. Is people should stand up. I mean, what's missing is to me a. a, a emblematic of Ted Stevens. Well, but I mean, we don't have Ted Stevens people who would stand up and just say, you know, they're just not worried about it. Ted would just say, this is right. This is what needs to be but done. It's the same with the Republicans, with the Democrats. If they yeah. speak out about anything about Trump, Trump they just yeah, get, I, know. I mean, I, half of me doesn't blame him because especially on the national you know, level, even local, if you, if you're, but you have to, if, if you're, if you're, if you want to be a leader, you got to be a leader, in my opinion. I, so I totally I'm agree with up. you. I mean, I, I am I'm, fed up. I mean, I, I think you've got to have people who stand up. I mean, privately, they all say they, they think he's nuts, um, but they don't want to go against him. And what they're writing is the same thing that, that, that did that, you know, that big blow to, to Fox News. It's they all knew that this whole thing was crazy and they went along with it because they didn't want to piss off their audience and lose. So, so we're talking numbers. about like, the political, the politicians, the leaders. But then if you go down to like, you know, just the voters and the public, I, I do I do understand why a lot of people are saying, you know, okay, Trump's fucking, he's out there. But when he was president, you know, before COVID, things were pretty good. The economy mm-hmm. was good. You know, wages were rising. Their, their, their employment was down. There was no wars. And now it's like, we got, okay, we got Biden and this war in Ukraine's yep. going ape shit. Inflation's fucking 10%. You know, it's it, it just feels bad. It doesn't feel good. You, know, you got maybe you got a president who's not you know like like on Twitter and going crazy all the time, but but things feel bad. But when Trump was there, you might God, this guy's fucking crazy. But things felt good, you know. So I kind of understand why. I mean, I was talking to a friend at dinner a few nights ago, and he made a really good point. And and I'm not one of these you know voter. I don't think there's fucking. I mean, I'm sure it's not. You know, I'm sure some people fuck around on the very tiny level, you know, on this voter fraud stuff. But he did make a good point. I mean, have you ever met? Maybe it's because we're in Alaska, but have you ever met like a hardcore Biden supporter? Like somebody like a Trump, like a, have you ever met the equivalent of a Trump supporter for Biden? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it in those terms. Um, again, I got to know Biden really well because he was friends with Ted Stevens. He came here when he, yeah. he, Ted mm-hmm. Stevens died. Gave a, yeah, he was, gave a brilliant speech. And, um, um, you know, I mean, he, he, yeah, I mean, he's he's got, if you look back, he's got a pretty lousy track record, his, 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 his sense of things. But, you know, it is more of a of a team affair. I mean, I, I was the organization that I was the head of. I sat with the people who were plotting out for him to become elected president. And they had gone and done polls and they were they were saying in front of me, you know, how they had they had looked at it and they saw that, you know, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin um in in particular, um, that that um uh Biden could win the the presidency with those, and he was the well, one he, who I mean, could. And so I it was being plotted out. People in forget, spite you know, he, he ran like an eighty-eight. He, he yeah. he's, he's been at this for a while. Yeah, and 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 the interesting thing right now is just you you look at him, and it, and it really, as a human being, I mean, if you are really honest, you've got to look at it and say, enough of both of them to a pox on Trump and a pox on Biden. I mean, it is time. I mean, what, what frustrates? I, I, I was a big supporter of Chris Sununu. I think he'd be a brilliant president. Oh, New Hampshire, yeah. Uh, what, what, great what, what, what frustrates me, though, really a lot, you know, I mean, I've been following this Hunter Biden stuff, you know, you know, pr- pretty closely. I mean, it just, it went from, um, I have nothing to do with my kid's business, period, to, mm-hmm. well, you know, I, I may have been at a meet, you know, I'm, I'm not. I, I have nothing to do with the business. To I'm not in business. To yeah, maybe there was a meeting or something, or maybe there was. And now it's just twenty million dollars, and it's just it's just so frustrating that if that was 
Don Jr. or yeah. or Eric Tr- or oh, yeah. Ivanka, it'd be it'd be it, and, and, no and question. But that's because there's so much there's so much um, tribalism, and and it's it's it it it's the one thing that Trump pointed out. There was one blessing that he did. It is that um, there is some entrenched um, um, entitlement that exists. Of, of of the reason that I saw people here on election night, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs who were standing on street corners waving signs for local candidates, and you would see them passing phones back and forth. People I would not have expected. People with Ivy League education saying, "Oh my God, he's up." He's up in Wisconsin. Did you know he's up in Wisconsin? They were just getting giddy over the fact that it looked like Trump was ahead where nobody thought he'd be ahead. And um, as I talked to them afterwards, you know, there's just a whole lot of people who felt that um, everything is so, um, um, the fix is in, in, in the way government works. They just want well, it's just like going a disruptor. Back to, it's just like going back to Nixon, you know, the silent majority. And then you're talking about the 90s with... Uh, you know the kind of rise of you know, Newt Gingrich. It's like yeah. there's this there's this undercurrent of people who who, well, and that's part of the problem with the left. Is um, my biggest criticism is this idea that you know people are scared to talk, people yeah. are scared to say what they think. Yeah, and, and obviously we can all agree some things are so out there that you know it's it's like some things are so mean or so horrible. Yes, but I'm talking about just you know your opinions about things that aren't like horrible. Just it's an opinion. Maybe it's a pro-life opinion. Or maybe yeah. it's something about you know gender surgery for kids or. You know, but they're so scared to like say their opinion out loud. How do you live in a free society? One, but then they, what they do is they go vote because nobody's in the voting booth with you. Yep. And and this is this has happened before um, in America. Yep. But it all comes down to it is it, the 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 interesting thing is for the world I live in, it has all become so predictable that everybody has parsed out the people who aren't going to vote, the people who are going to vote, how they're likely to vote, the way you can predict certain aspects of it to where it's almost a head-to-head against uh, yeah. Republicans and Democrats. Well, it gets down to always one constituency, you know, so it's like it's in just, that previous election, it was where it where it back is again now, you know. It's just recently women. New York Times poll that had Trump at 50, you know, in the primary, 54%. But they, you know, you're talking about, you, you have the numbers, but then you delve, delve down into the cross tabs and the other, you know, what you can, you know, garner from the poll. And I think it's like 34% of them will never vote for anybody except Trump. So, so 30, so a third of the party is what they're calling kind of the MAGA. And you're not changing it, no matter what you do. Hmm, so it's like the Pelinistas, huh? Okay, yeah. Well, you remember, yeah. I was watching that, actually, recently I watched that movie Game Change. Remember that? It was on, yeah, on, on yeah. HBO. That was kind of a little throwback to that, to that time. That's another interesting one. I mean, when did you hear about that? Because I remember I was, I was driving or I was maybe on TV. I said, what the fuck? You know, cause I knew who she was. I was been here for four, you know, three or four years at that point, And it was just mania, you know, where, where did you know about it? But I mean, they, they kind of kept it secret, right? They didn't really tell anybody about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, between Sarah and, and Trump is where I, I stopped making prognostications about politics because lobbyist for um, the, the Matsu uh, many years ago when I was in D.C., living in D.C., um, uh, asked me, he said, um, I, he was representing Sarah in essence, and he said, um, you know, would you mind spending some time talking to Sarah? Got her back here in D.C., and I'd like you to just just size her up for me and, and tell me, because I think she's got tremendous potential what year was this? national candidate. Um, when she was governor, before she was governor? Yeah, I mean, this would have been back in... Um, uh, 2003, probably to right in there. Um, and so, so before, yeah, before she was governor. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, 
Uh, I had, I, cause I had the only thing there is I had worked with her. I used her in a TV spot to help Frank Murkowski become governor, um, in uh, the 2002 election. And, um, I was living in DC, but came up here to, um, to do that campaign. She, she ran for Lieutenant governor in 2002, right? And she, she lost. Yeah, she lost. Um, but, um, the, um, the, the thing is, I mean, I, I said, sure, I'll be happy to meet with her. And um, my office was right on Capitol Hill, just a couple of blocks down from the Capitol. And um, spent almost three hours with her talking. And um, she left. And um, this, this guy called me afterwards and he said, what do you think? And I said, Sarah Palin has absolutely no potential in politics whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, because it's, it's the same as what you've got now. There's a joke thing I carry around, which is a, a, a picture of um, a bowl of alphabet soup. And you're looking down everything, letters every which way. And, it's, and, it's, and, and the headline is, uh, Sarah Pellin has issued a statement. <laughs> I mean, nothing spells a word. I mean, it, it's just she starts a sentence and then the middle and then the end are like they came out of a different universe. They just don't connect. Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's, it's, this is a different kind of um, on, this, on the same uh, note. But when Dunleavy was, was a senator, I knew him pretty well. I ran in 2012. He ran in 2012. He, he beat Linda Menard and I lost to Lisa McGuire. But I, I had kept in touch with him and I'd followed him and watched things a little bit. If you would have told me in 2013 or 14 or 15 or 16 or 17, he would be governor. If you would have told anybody in politics he'd be governor, they would have either laughed or just, you know, just dismissed it. Same kind of thing, you know. He, he came out in, because he was not a very impressive senator. He didn't do a lot. He was trying to do this choice, school choice thing, and that got thrown out, and people, you know, it just not, not a lot there, you know. Not, not really a feature of the Senate. And, um, and maybe that's the point. Maybe, you know, if you do too much, people know who you are, and, and they have a... You know, they have, a, they have a beat on you. And if you're not, maybe, who yeah. knows? But he, yeah. I just, I don't think anybody would have thought that guy would have been governor when he was in the Senate. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I will always go back to, I don't, I mean, I've never called myself a Republican. I've called myself a Ted Stevens Republican, which has gotten me sort of booed and hissed at Republican conventions in Alaska over the years. Um, because, I mean, I, to me, Ted, Ted was throw the issue up in the air and say, will this be good for Alaska? And I mean, to hell with everything else, if it's going to be good, Go for it. Put your head down and go for it with full force. What was what was the convention? Maybe it was in the '90s or 2000s when when some it was not. Oh wait, that was like the Ron Paul. That was when I kind of got involved. But at one point, didn't didn't they some group take over the party? You were telling me about this, and you had to you had to call people to show up at night. And yeah, what what? what you're, yeah, 1996 was the year. I think it was yeah, 96 yeah. that um, the the party really wanted. They, Ted was too liberal, and they wanted Dave Cuddy. Dave Cuddy would be a true conservative, and so oh, it was think, it was for the endorsement, right? I think. Well, what what they, what they were what they were you know looking to do, which you're allowed to do because a party is a party, is to literally get the party to vote to move to nomination by convention rather than a, than a primary. Ah, okay, yes, And so, yes. because the nature of the people who were involved would have voted for, we choose Dave Cuddy to be our true Republican candidate to go forward on the ballot. Now, Ted obviously would have run as an independent then, probably was still won, sure he would have won. But, um, you know, you wanted to, to, to stop that in the tracks. And so it's, it's where I, I, a lot of us left a lot of blood on the floor trying to convince good and decent people to say, you know, this is the way party politics works. You know, you've got to go there and sit in. Back then, you had precincts, 
and then, you know, precinct convention, district convention, then the state convention. You had to sit through the precinct to get elected to the, yeah, the I district. Think then you had to sit through that to get elected to the state to be one of those decision makers. And you had to stay at the table. And the people who wanted to do it were going to just wear you out. They would sit there talking about everything under the sun until you got so tired, you're a good and decent person, and you just wanted to go well, home, I, and you left, and they could control it. I think you would have told me was a. Maybe it was like Jim Jansen. Yeah, you know, he was Jim, supposed to. Jim, so I, I'm just picturing Jim Jansen them. being at some precinct meeting at sure. like 11 and he p.m. Said, this is nuts. Fuck These people this. Are nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he's right. He's totally right. But that was the way that it. That's the way that it worked. And it's you know, there's only one way to win something like that is is to um, to stay at the table. It's it's. Uh, so how they? I mean, obviously Ted was the nominee. How'd that end up? How'd that play out in the end? Well, very close vote, but we 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 defeated it going to nomination by convention. So it ended up still being a primary, which of course. You know, Ted ended up winning because that goes out to a broader group of people than that, the ones who were elected to be district, con, uh, you know, district up to state and, and, and you know, make up the uh, central committee of the Republican Party. Well, I've been, you know, for three, I've, since 2000, I've been independent, non or 2000, sorry, 2020, so three years. But I remember in 08, I was a Ron Paul guy. And that was when I first got into the politics. I didn't know anything about this precinct and party and district. I didn't know anything about that work, but I got involved. I went to my precinct um you know, my, my district convention. Yeah, that was an active, active up here in Alaska. That was a deeply active group of people. I went to my district convention. Um, I just knew that's where I needed to go to support, you know, Ron Paul. Uh, I go, and I was a Republican. And then I remember I had to pay like 280 bucks or whatever, the 250 or whatever the money was. Yeah. And I was in college still. I don't have any, you know, it was, a, for me, that was like, oh my God, I don't, but I had to go to the ATM and I had to get the money because I, I, you know, I still, I did it because I was, I wanted to be in. And that, man, it was a, such a, like seared in my memory of just these, all these people, a lot of Ron Paul people, but then some regular party people. And they were like at this district district, there was a part 30, 40 of us. And it was like, it was like, and like we, the Ron Paul people like won, you know, got the, and then we went to the, the main deal, the captain cook. And that's when the, that's when they got kicked out. Remember Reed, Randy Redrick. And then we were all in the, in the basement at some room, this Ron Paul guy was, they wanted to like insurrection. They wanted to like take over the convention. And, and I was, you know, 24, I guess. And I was like, what the fuck? It, you know, now I know this is like normal in these both parties, but you know, if it's a total out and Schaefer Cox was in the, in the room, he was in the room down there. I remember he was talking and, and it was like totally nuts. And just, just what you're talking about, you know, people, but you had these Ron Paul people at the time. They were so fucking hardcore. They were so committed that the other, the regular party people, the old school traditional party people just didn't know what to, I mean, you were, you were around and they didn't know what to think. Yeah. Well, it gets back to the fact of, um, you know, if you really, you know, the, the, uh, it was Chris Matthews of Hardball who, you know, claimed the phrase, I think, you know, it's politics, the only game for adults. Um, you know, <laughs> that, a, that I've, I've heard that. That's a great, it, it, it is. I mean, there's, you know, other people can name and, 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 and it's, it's, you don't chastise people, but you point out to them, you know, you can name every, every member of every football team and what you think of them all, but you don't even know who your own, you know, your, your own elected officials I, I, are. I remember there was like at our district convention, there was, there was there was a big discussion about who would do the prayer and and then what what like what they could say and couldn't say. I mean, this is adults, right? These are like adult people to, yeah. talking about who's going to say it and what they're what they're going to say, like and what they're not going to say. No, that the craziness of 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 those kind of things I have watched come and go because I got involved actually not just as a political consultant I got involved in the party I was a precinct chair became a district chair I got elected a regional chair sat on the executive committee of the Republican Party I led the charge to get um, to get uh, Lindauer 
disendorsed by the Republican Party after oh, he is... won the primary because, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I made the case, you know, you lose credibility as a party. The guy is clearly a liar and a cheat, and you cannot have him, once you know that, be, you know, and, and there were the people who just, but, but he won and he's got money and he can win. And For the folks listening, the Lindauer won the primary, but it ter- I mean, I don't know much about him, but I do know that, that they did figure out he had like mob ties. Mm. To, to some people in Chicago that were bank, bankrolling and they were trying to get some contracts. And so then Robin Taylor. So, so Knowles is interesting because he ran, he won in 94, 98. Um, but both times it was kind of fluke, you know, yeah. like other yeah. th- th- like there was the um, Sergelewski, I guess, or what there was a third person in the race back in 90. And then same thing in 98. I mean, he both times got kind of lucky. Yeah. To have this, this Both weird, times. weird yep. election. Absolutely. Um, and dynamic. that sometimes is your political, you know, karma. I mean, you know, it drives people nuts, but it's, uh, it is what it is. You're playing with the field that you got. And sometimes it, it, it allows somebody that you think, how did that person win, win? Just no, I moved here in 04, so I never, you know, I, he ran for U.S. Senate, um, and I guess against Murkowski. But before that, I wasn't here when he was governor, but I've read a lot about it and I'm familiar. Um, what was your take on Knowles and what would he be considered today? Like in, the, in those, his positions, then he s- struck me as not a very extreme no, guy. no, he wasn't. And an interesting thing is because I was living in Washington, D.C., and it was Ted Stevens and um, Don Young who asked me to, um, you know, uh, Frank. I'd done um, Frank's 2002 election. He'd become governor. He named his daughter, which shocked tons of us. Um, even his best friend stopped talking to him for a period of time, saying that was inappropriate. I, I still can't believe he did that. I, mean, I know. Well, like, <laughs> it, it, there's a very, very short story about why that happened. It was because Nancy said to him, "Look, I've stood by you my entire life, your entire life. Do this for me." His wife. Yeah. That 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 is because of Nancy that Lisa got appointed. But one way or the other, this was her first re-election, and. Um, once she was in there, Ted and Don had asked if I would come back to Alaska and try to help her. And um, I came back, and you know, because she was running against Knowles, and polls were they were running neck and neck. And I looked at it, and the, the, the campaign was really being run by one of the committees, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, was heavily in here, and they were fighting for Lisa. But all they were doing was running all of this stuff, saying, Tony Knowles, liberal, 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 liberal. And I went in and had screaming matches with him and said, you are in the wrong state to be doing this kind of thing. It might work elsewhere. But in Alaska, everybody knows Tony Knowles. He is not, quote, unquote, a liberal. I mean, he's a Vietnam veteran, decorated veteran. He's a roughneck on the oil fields. I mean, you're, you, you, you know... You you don't go counter to what people's own own knowledge of of a person is, which Alaska is is unique in, and didn't get anywhere with them. And that's where I finally started a whole third party effort, where I went and got people. The one thing that's constitutionally protected is if you want to spend your own money to run an ad, you can do it. And so I got tons of people to run ads, and produced all of these ads that were were um, around one theme only, which is you know what. And it pissed off Lisa because, you know, you, you want to just be uplifted. But it was, hey, here's the fact. Tony and Lisa are about the same. They're talking about pretty much the same things. They're both good people. They're both going to govern about the same way. That's not the point. The point is Ted Stevens is the head of the Appropriations Committee. That means enormous benefit for Alaska. And if you elect Tony Knowles, Ted Stevens could lose the chairmanship mm-hmm. of appropriations. This is about Ted Stevens. This is like it's that, not this about is go, Tony, this and is it's like not that, about Lisa. That 190% tax bomb, right? Yeah. This kind of- so it was just take it, make it something different. This is about Ted. You want to keep Ted in the power of doing all of the really big stuff for Alaska, you got to vote for Lisa. Uh, the, the, the irony is now, I think the next time 
In two, I think in two years, Lisa will be head of appropriations. Mm. Took, took what, about 20, 20, time, 20 years, huh? It's amazing how time moves by, which makes people like me feel how much water under the bridge we've seen. I mean, I have so many memories of sitting with Ted back there. He had this beautiful little nook in the Capitol that is probably the premier spot in the U.S. Capitol. It is right in the middle, looking straight down toward the Washington Oh, there's that picture, I think, when he he died. I remember that picture was taken. I have that as an actual photograph, that exact one that was used. And um, I used to sit in there and and just interview him and talk to him and... um, He'd leave when the, he'd just, he had it down so pat, he'd watch the lights, and when he knew exactly how long he needed to walk down, vote on the floor. And then yeah, I, 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 I only met him a handful of times, but earlier you talked about him being just, you know, very plain spoken and not, yeah. not, not afraid to say what he thinks. So I, at that convention in 08, that big, you know, the Ron Paul thing at the Captain Cook, and I was a delegate, and, and I was in the big room, and I saw him walk by, and, you know, I was very, I was 24, and I was, you know, a lot of the Ron Paul stuff, and, and I mean, I've changed in a lot of ways, you get older, but I mean, I still like that, that energy that... He had and a lot of the ideas Ron Paul, you know, brought on were, were very relevant today. But, you know, back then I was younger and, you know, you get some ideas. And at the time it was this real ID, you know, this, this they want to chip us or they, you know. So, so that was a topic then. It still is now, but not as much. But that was at the time a lot of people were like, fuck this, they're going to track us, you know. So I happened to like walk by him in the convention hall and I, I just under Stevens, I, I have to ask, do you support this? You know, I want to know, do you support this real ID? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, they want to, this real ID, they want to put, and he, and he, he goes, he goes, are you, well, where are you getting this shit? And he pulls out his wallet, right? And he opens the wallet like this, and he pulls out his, his capital ID. He goes, that's a capital ID. It's a real ID. What, 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 are you, what are they doing to me? Are they cracking me? He goes, get your head on straight. He just walked away, and I was like, oh, my God. I was 23, 24, but he was just so, like, annoyed that somebody was asking him about that. Yeah. But, yeah, and, and again, like anybody, he, he had his moments, but um, over, overall, um, God, he has had more of an impact. I mean, when he was being a, a, attacked, um, you know, for doing criminal stuff, um, it's just, it's insane. I mean, I spent so much time. He was like a second father to me. And he literally, if there's one thing he taught me, it was ethics. It was, if there was something, when I first started working with him back in 80, um, going to the 82 election, um, you know, Ted would say, you can't do that. It's not, it's not ethical. It's not right. Ben was the same way. I mean, I think you and I had talked about that. People thought Ben, you know, was, you know, had had ethical lapses. He didn't. That was one incredibly well-grounded ethical family. Um, but um, it, it's, uh, you know, personalities can, can well, drive both, how I mean, people feel. Both of them, Ted and Ben, they both had to deal with like this kind of media onslaught of, you know, it cost Ted the election and. Because um, Ben, his you know, political ben he, too, went with, the, with, he went into the wilderness for a long time after that. It's it's it's, it's you know it's it's interesting how like ben, especially when Dunley made him chief of staff, the, the, a lot of that stuff resurfaced. And I wrote something saying, you know, wait a minute, like this guy was never charged with anything. He was never, you know, in, he, this is ridiculous. I said Donnie Olson, who I, who I'm, I like a lot, I respect a lot, you know, really good guy. He was basically in the same situation as, as Ted, you know, kind of suspected, mm-hmm. but nothing ever happened. But 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 Donnie it didn't track it didn't it didn't track with Donnie it didn't it didn't hang with Donnie like it has with with uh, with had with Ben. Well, the big the big thing with Ben that is, that is always interesting to me is that you try very patiently to say to people sometimes people could say, "Boy, what a crook Bill Allen and and Rick Smith ended up being," and man oh man they just lied about everything and all that and they they deserve to go to prison. And then Ben comes along and they'll say, "Well." Rick Smith said, yeah, we bought Ben Stevens off. Mm-hmm. Well, you just said his word isn't worth anything that he made everything up. And yet you're taking it to the bank when he says that I, about I, Ben. I never and knew, it, I never knew Bill Allen, but, but I, 
I knew somebody who worked at Vico for a long time and, and told me that a story about Bill where a guy had worked there for many years and he had left. I don't know why he left, but he had left. And you know, a few months after he left, he got diagnosed with like pancreatic cancer. And, and he told, you know, Bill found out and Bill said, bring him back on, make sure he has the fucking insurance and take care of him and his, and his, and his wife and make sure everything's taken care of. And the person who told me that explained to me that, that Bill wasn't, he had problems. He did some bad things, mm-hmm. but, but deep down he was, he was a, had a good heart mm-hmm. and he just, he was an old school. He built the company. He just thought that's how you did. You kind of, yep. you know, pass the money around a little bit, you know, you kind of, you kind of grease the wheels and that's exactly right. And, and, and um, obviously the, the, some of the other stuff with the, you know, the girls, bad, bad stuff, you know, with Joe Bohm and all that. But, mm-hmm. but I think in the political sense, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think he was an evil guy. I don't think he was trying to do, I think he, in his mind, he was probably really just trying to, do the right thing to, you know, get some development going, create some, obviously what he did was wrong. I'm not saying it was right, no. but I think that the, the label got so, you know, he got portrayed as just an evil person. And I think it was just an old school mentality. And that's how the politics used to be a long time ago. They had party bosses. They, you know, they passed money around, you know, grease the wheels. Things actually used to get done, you know, yeah. a long time ago when that, yeah. when that was the, the system. Yep. No, I mean, he had, uh, Ted actually had a huge impact on him that made him as he, um, as he, became the kingpin that he was, become very concerned about how do you do what's right for Alaska. And, um, and, and, and it's like the two differences between, you know, what he, what he was doing like that, plus the fact that he had a flawed personal character. But I lived across the alley from him. I lived across the street from Tony Knowles when I came back in 2004 to help um, Lisa. I lived right across the alley from Bill and um, down there on S Street. And um, we spent a lot of time with him. I did a lot of work for Vico. And um, I, I, again, for all the things that, that, that they ended up saying, what's the most damnable is them saying things about Ben that, he, you know, they admit, you know, I've heard them right out of the horse's mouth. Um, I'd go across the alley and be talking to Bill, and he'd say, you know, that Ben, that Ben, I love that Ben. He said, you know, boy, I tell him, no, we, we got to do this. And he'll say, you can't do that, Bill. That's illegal. You can't do that. And he said, he just, he's so damn honest, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I know full well. I mean, that's the Ben I know, and that's the, the Ben that's real. And um, that's what's damnable is that just to save their own bacon, um, their family's bacon. They they literally, you know, lied and pointed the finger at Ted and, and pointed the finger at, at Ben, and that's what's damnable. Do you think uh, if Ted would have died in the plane crash, what was did he have plans to a week reemerge? Before, or? Uh-huh, a week before that, Ted had called me. Um, the um, uh, He was out at a Gula Walk, um, GCI's place out there. Yeah. And um, he had called me and said, get geared up. We're going to run, you know. So he was planning on, on that race against Begich. So that would have been for So he would have been for the fourteen race. He would have been kind of get, getting up there, huh? He would have. But I mean, do I think that? Uh, you think he would have won? I do. I absolutely do, because you know he he'd gotten vindicated by that, and and again his um, by comparison. I mean, again, a lot of the stuff that Ted did is still benefiting the state to this day, and um, Begich let a lot of those things go. The depth of um, of what Ted understood about about you know politics and and the need to do things in Alaska. What do you think the motivation for huge. these DOJ guys? I mean, was it just we're gonna get we're gonna take down a senator? Is as simple as that? Yeah, I believe so. I believe. I mean, Schumer and uh, and Daschle, um, they spent a lot of time with Begich, and um, you know, you know, I it it was. Um, but I, I don't think. I mean, I don't think Begich had anything to do with it. It was the DOJ 
right? I mean, it was the DOJ guys that were process, that were leading the charge on the. But once it got started, turn, they, turn the mic a little bit towards you. Once, once, once it got started, they certainly fanned the flames. Mm-hmm. So I still, you know, there were people who overheard conversations as Mark was campaigning around the state. So didn't know, didn't I, one of the guys commit suicide? One of the prosecutors. I don't know about that. I think one of the DOJ guys involved. Yeah, they later all I committed. know is it's a classic example of people thinking, you know, as they were they were getting all these these lower level people down in Juneau who who were, you know, Vico was buying off, and then all of a sudden Ted Stevens came into it, and people saw, this is, this is a big fish. Wow. The, the wildest thing about Vico, and all these the videos and stuff with Coring and Cot Cotton, you know, who's the other one? Um, what was the guy's name? Oh, Y-Rock and these guys. Uh, and Tom it, Anderson. Well, his was different. He was the prison. He had kind of the private prison, uh, the sting with the FBI. But, yeah, same thing, um, era. But the, the Vico thing, it was like thousand, a couple thousand bucks or something. And it wasn't oh, like, yeah. no, you know. small amounts of money. I mean, for, for, what, for what was going on, you'd think it'd be like hundreds of thousands or millions. But it was like a couple hundred bucks here, a couple. It, was, it wasn't like. You know, obviously, take, taking any money for that kind of thing is wrong, but it, it, it just was such little money. Yeah, pathetic is, is 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 a good word for it. That's why I think they just all started salivating when they thought maybe we could go get Ted Stevens. And it just became, it, you know, and then it it was, Bill was the one who was, you know, the one who, who got right in the crosshairs and his way out of it. Bill Allen. Yeah. was. It's a good point about how everybody... You know these scumbags, Bill Allen, Rick Smith, and this and that, and then, but at the same time, you know, they were the ones they used to kind of lead the charge on, on with with Ted. And lied. So last thing we'll talk about. We've been going for an hour twenty here. Normally I do thirty or forty minutes, but huh. I, could, I could talk to you forever. I mean, you got so many stories and um, insights. So I guess the last thing we'll talk about is, you know, I think Alaska's just stuck in neutral right now. I mean, we don't build anything. We don't. We fight over this dividend thing every year where there's. People are leaving. We can't build houses in Anchorage. There's a housing problem. There's a homeless problem. No infrastructure. New, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for this Kinnick Arm Bridge. And that should have been done 10 years ago. Or, you know, I mean, the Willow thing, bar- thank God it got through. But it barely, now it's still a lawsuit. And, you know, what what, what can we do? I mean, do you think, I, I don't have a, I don't have a really great outlook for the state. I mean, I'm here and I like being here and I, my fam- friends are here. My, my life's here, but. I just don't, I'm not very optimistic. I mean, are you? And, and why are we stuck in this rut where it's just nothing happens and the same tired bullshit fights happen? Yeah, the only, yeah I mean, I'm depressed by it, but uh, the only reason I'm optimistic is because I've watched it a million times. And as you talk to a lot of young people, there's a lot of really, really bright young people who are coming along. And, um, you know, I mean, basically, I, I liken it to the Dan Sullivan thing. I mean, I met Dan when he was a Marine up here in 1997. And I remember my late wife was um, upset when... Uh, I said, uh, after our first meeting and talking to him, I said, man, I would do anything to help that guy. He's going places. He's 20 times smarter than I am, which nobody likes to hear about their spouse admitting that they're not as smart as the next guy. But um, <laughs> but it was true. And at that point in time, Dan didn't know any of the delegation and everything. And so I just did everything I could because I just saw him as as solid gold. And he is solid gold. And, um, and he is sort of the shining light that um, we have on the political um, um, uh, arena. But I think there's other people out there, young people, they've just got to, you know, they've, they've got to just get the fire in the belly to go do it because it's a thankless thing to get into because you do, you get torn to pieces. I mean, who would want to get into it? Um, 
But I think it'll come around because people will get so fed up that you're going to get people who stand up. I, th- I think it's just human nature. So I think it'll come around. I think I think there'll be people who, um, you know, it's just the old story of, you know, people who grew up in a liberal family tend to end up being conservative themselves later on. I mean, it's, um, you look at things and you, you judge, you know, what makes sense and a new generation comes along and assesses all of that and... Um, um, I hope I hope so. I, mean, I, I do know, too. I do too. I, I'm, I'm, de- I'm yeah. I'm depressed I, as hell with it, and I'm fed up with with both parties. I mean, on the Republican side, you've got these people who, in in my opinion, I mean, my, you know, I'm, I work with Senator James Kaufman, and he's wanted to to even think of just throwing it in and not running because, you know, he got beat up on as being a rhino for trying to do was what the was the most conservative economically to try and build a reasonable state budget, and it's it's. People like, uh, you know, a Mike Shower who would say, no, no, we got to give out a full dividend, complete full dividend. And yeah, but that's going to cost. I mean, it means you're going to have to have taxes. Well, so what? Well, you know, I mean, that's the least Republican thing that there is in the traditional Republican sense. Is- I've, 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 I've had several over the years conversations with friends and people on lower 48, and I try to explain our, our system, especially specifically around the dividend. And, and you re- it, it's so hard to explain it is. It's just so hard to how a lot of Democrats are like, we have to spend less, you know, we can't give the money out and, and, and how a lot of Republicans want to give the money out and they want to raise taxes. And some of the Democrats, I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but it's, it's just kind of well, backwards. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. But again, I lived all through it. And a bunch of the people who say, you know, with great certainty that they know what Jay Hammond had in mind, it's a load of crap. I mean, Jay definitely um, portrayed it as a rainy day fund. And it was very brilliant in putting it together. But the purpose of putting it together was at some point in time, oil's going to start to go down. And you're going to need that money to run state government and provide services. And instead, well, it and, has and, been and taken to it's our money. It's the, our share of... The biggest Hammond people, the biggest dividend people who re- reference Hammond always conveniently, conveniently leave out that he was for the income tax. Mm. You know, a lot of them don't talk about that. They, they just talk about the, the dividend part. And, the, you know, I mean, he was on the record. He was very upset that they repealed the income. He wanted to put it down to zero. And say leave it, you know, but in case we need to raise it down the road, um, yeah, it's well, it's I, 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 you I, know I, m- maybe this they raised the pay this year from fifty to eighty four, which is a decent raise, and I'm I don't like how it happened. I was very critical of the Soviet yeah. process that they yeah. used the governor, but but in any case, I'm I'm for a pay. I think it should be one fifty, you know, because the, the what happens is you get you're talking about your dad and these era of these business guys running for legislature, you get you get some of that, but you don't get a lot of that. A lot of people who would be good legislators or who should run, don't run because of the job and the money and the family and going to Juno and all these things. So maybe that might, you know, well, you get know, a few I, more people to run. I worked with Jay Ramaris and we did the 90-day the session uh, initiative years ago. We um, put it together, got it on the ballot, collected the signatures um, to get it there and, and then got it passed. And, of course, because of the Constitution, it can be ignored. But um, And then special sessions came in and they were liberally used. But the, really the notion is, I mean, regardless of the pay, I mean, back when my dad was in the legislature, you know, you tried to keep it to a short period of time and you had people who went down there who all had other jobs, other lives, and it wasn't their whole livelihood, um, Democrat and Republican. And so you were doing it as a public service, which is why my dad did it. He didn't do it to make a living. He had to come back and work in a job. Um, it was a public service. Well, this last time, you know, they, they couldn't do it in 120. They ended up doing a one-day sp- Special session, but you know a lot of these newer people that won last year. Jesse Sumner has a business. 
you know, Andrew Gray's getting the, you know, got military. He's got a, you know, family you got, you got, um, Justin Ruffridge business pharmacy family. I mean, you get more and more of these newer, younger people. And so at the end of you could, you could tell there was people, you know, Julie Colomb, you have people who are like, we aren't staying here all summer. No fucking way. And if, if, if it means, you know, whatever, that's what's, cause, cause there, there is a contingent of people who are very comfortable, who are older and retired, who will run out the clock. I mean, Bert Stedman, I think he's awesome. I got a ton of respect for that guy, but you know, he will run the clock out. He will stay, he's got a boat. He will stay there all fucking summer. He doesn't give a shit. And, but you get more and more people that, that need to be gone for, for work or for family. Um, and, and that, that's the whole reason it didn't last. That special session didn't, didn't drag on because people wanted to go home. Well, I don't know. It comes back to a very simple thing to me. And I, again, would liken it to James Kaufman. You get people who actually know what the hell they're doing. I mean, he is a, his, his whole professional career was as a project manager and he's able to look at it and say, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, <laughs> you know, income expense, how you, how you, hmm. you know, build a, and I've, a budget. I've, I've mean, told it's, you need people like that and you could solve almost any problem very reasonably and very quickly. I've talked to a lot of Republicans, you know, in Anchorage, um, even towards Eagle River, not really the Valley, but I, I, I talk about Merrick and Kaufman. I mean, Merrick went with the Democrats, right. in the house and, and, became co-chair and she, she smoked, uh, that, that guy, 20 McCarty by almost 20 points. I mean, Kaufman voted against the, the super dividend and all that, you know, and he, he won, he went to the Senate. So it's not, you know, you don't have to have but these wacko, but it's, but it's Republicans who attack them both. I mean, I did, I did, but, 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 but they were able to parlay it to a, to the, both of them went to the Senate. Sh- sure. And, and I think that's a very good example. I use Merrick all the time. I did Merrick's campaign. And in the first go round, um, you know, we, we, we went with what I believe out on the street from somebody like a Kaufman who did so much door-to-door is that all of the yelling and screaming by a few people does not reflect the general public who just wants people to get stuff done. And we positioned um, Kelly. I mean, it just really struck when, when she talked about the fact that really she was just a mom. I mean, she came out of just being a mom going into running for office. But as we talked about, it, it's like that was a great theme, and we built the whole campaign around the fact of, you know, just a mom, but a mom has to do a whole lot more than a lot of these legislative people ever do. They got to mm-hmm. juggle all sorts of hockey, stuff. Hockey, the hockey mom. And and then, ha- having and, having Joey, if having Joey Merrick as the husband doesn't hurt though. The head of the laborers, you know. He's sure, a, but you still you got to go win people at the door. Yeah. And um, again, the the fact that she had that level of support, Republicans were this is the lady we got to get rid of because she's she's a rhino and all that, and yet she won by one I mean, of the biggest margins. Why? Because I think it's absolutely true. People. Don't care if it's a bipartisan coalition. They want yep. you to get you're, stuff done. You're so right. How many people? I mean, yes, the, the partisan people care about that. The, the you know fringe extremes on both sides. But the average pe- person has no doesn't give a shit about who they don't even know who their legislator is, let alone who's. But but the conventional wisdom at the time among the Republican crowd um, last you know summer up to the election was was oh Kelly Merrick has no chance. Mm. And I, and I always said, I don't think she has no chance. I mean, I, it was interesting because before there was like four people and then in the race and a couple dropped out. So it became head to head to head. But, but I remember looking at it and looking at previous races in that area and, you know, the Democrats had gotten 40%. And if it's her versus McCarty, so I'm, I'm thinking she starts at 40. I mean, that's just kind of, plus, you know, you have some moderate Republicans already. So I, I, I thought she was going to win. But I thought it was going to be closer, and it was like I think almost twenty points. It was a major victory for her, and and that it, it was. But again, everything's got its own dynamic. Every race has its own dynamic, and Kelly um, was embraceable, shall we say? I mean, I won best 
legislative radio in the country at two different, um, uh, the only two political campaign award events with her radio um, because you listen to her. You can't knock on every door. And so the media plays a huge role because what you got to do is bottle what you see and then, you know, offer it to people to take a drink of. And that's what media does for people. And um, you listen to her and she made perfect sense. It just was the right tone. You, she sounded believable. She sounded, you know, totally and completely well, sincere I, I, I about think, getting the job done for average Alaskans and moving the needle. I think, I think the thing she did the best was, um, you know, instead of, instead of running away from the, the bipartisan coalition, she kind of embraced it. I mean, I was talking to her once and, 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 I, and I, you know, I, I said, hell, if it was me, um, and somebody asked asked me about it. I, I'd say not not only would I do, not only would I not change it. I'll do it again if I have to, you know. And people, I think people like that uh, that that um, confidence, but also the idea that you're not going you don't give a shit about party stuff. You're going to yeah. do what needs to happen. And she she was one of the ones who you know broke the deadlock and, and she became the co chair of the finance committee in the house and she was able yeah. to deliver yeah. some things for Eagle River that she and wouldn't have been able you, to do otherwise. Yep. It shows you there's a constituency for that. And again, it's um. You know, it's it starts to break the mold of um, you know this this again. One of the problems I have with the party is it's yelling and screaming that no people have to you know be pure. I mean, McCarty was not known to be a very great representative. I mean, again, Kelly versus McCarty. Kelly is vastly a better person to well, represent the people of her district. I, I basically knew he was going to lose when he ran some bizarre ad where he was comparing her to. Rashida Tlaib, mm. uh, Ilhan Omar, and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I and mean, I was like, okay, this is just so fucking out. Like, this, this ain't gonna, this In, ain't gonna work. Insanity, absolute insanity. That she it, was like know? the fourth member of the squad in some weird little, you know, digital ad I saw, and I was like, oh my god, this is but really th- weird. That's the only the only nice thing about that is it makes you realize that, um, you know, the 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 people who are just really nuts. Yeah, they congregate on talk radio, but they are not reflective. I mean, as as people have said to me, my God, you know, but they're, they're I mean, even, even Kaufman would say, boy, they're beating me up on talk radio. And I said, I'm going to tell you, the people who are going to vote in your district, 99% of them don't listen to that talk radio. That is not what's going to the, move the, them. The, the one thing that they do have, though, and I listen to Percaro, and I used to listen to Fagan, even though I thought he was a fucking lunatic. I, it was entertaining. I liked listening to him. I mean, it was some crazy shit, but it was, I cannot listen to Dabosky. I've tried. I can't do it. Um, but I listen to Percaro, but between Percaro, um, and before Fagan, now Domboski and this fucking Suzanne Downing, they do have a bit of a machine where they're able to, they feed off each other. I mean, she does a story, oftentimes bullshit. He repeats it, Fagan or Percaro or now Domboski. And they, I mean, there's Kevin Cross, a perfect example. They're going after Kevin now, who they all supported when, a couple of year, year and a half ago when he ran for assembly. He's trying to make building easier. He's trying to improve zoning. Now he's being attacked by them. And it's just, it's just kind of cyclical thing where she does a story attacks him says he's trying to enrich himself he's self deals bullshit and then Bracaro picks it up and then and then Domboski and then it's a circle so it it does have some impact I mean it does get a little bit of people talk about it and it, but, it, it but, is a, but, but not in the real broader spectrum again I mean I know some people on the inside and I, I, I yes I'm ta- yeah I'm talking the, about on the on the in the, the within the realm of the poli- political yeah, world. The, so if what I use those stations for is if you if you want like all the other staffers and other people to listen. I mean, it's um, the staffers listen and representatives listen or have their staffers listen because they want to hear whether they're being talked about and who's saying what. It's a very 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 um, incestuous little little uh, audience. I mean, I mean the the, the, the I don't want to say the, the worst, but I mean maybe the least listened to, but the most 
caustic as is, is this Michael Dukes guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard the, oh, yeah. the, there's a shower hour of power and some of the, yep. I mean, some of the shit is just, but dude, you have, you do have these like hundred or 150 listeners and <laughs> especially with the Dukes guy, it's less, but um, there is, but, but the, I guess my point was the, the Democrats, the, the left doesn't have that. Yeah. They don't, they don't have that system where, where the right kind of does. I mean, I remember when I was running, in 2020 for the Senate before I, I withdrew because like that lady wouldn't drop out, but I was knocking doors. It was summer 2020, and um, I knocked on this door, and, and this lady says, I, I'm Jeff, I'm running for the Senate, and blah, blah. And she goes, yeah I, know, yeah, I know who you are. She goes, I have one question for you. Do you support Ethan Berkowitz? And I said, well, I know Ethan fairly well. He put me on the, the Sister Cities Commission. Um, I'm not a very big fan of the, you know, mask stuff and all the shutdowns, but... You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just maybe give a bad answer. I didn't want to say I didn't support him. Or I did support him. I just said I know him and I'm not a fan of the COVID stuff, whatever. And she goes, get the fuck off my property. And she goes, he's what he's doing with his businesses and his restaurant. And I was like, oh, man, that's that downing bullshit where she made up that he was, you know, with the Snow City and all the, the he invested in this in this uh, this company with these restaurants. And then I heard about it again. And that's when I started thinking to myself, oh, man, this shit's like getting out there. People are. You know, it's not getting out broadly though. It's a pretty narrow band. But when I was knocking, I mean, I knocked a few people at the door, brought it up, you know, and, and then Berkowitz ignored it. Um, and then it got, you know, it did get out there a bit of, of, of this kind of, you know, nonsense idea that he was passing laws to let his some business flourish outside. I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 it's usually in that political world, but then there was that Terry Miller thing that were downing made up that bullshit about us playing beer pong. I mean, basically made it out to be some kind of, you know, fucking crazy orgy beer party and, and booze party. And in that case, that got picked up. It was it was 80% falsehood. It was 80% bullshit. But then that got picked up by ADN, public media, and Channel 2. They told a more yeah re- re- realistic story about what it was. But it's it's just so much. You can, now you can put out there anything. And if sometimes it sticks, you know? Yeah, sometimes. But it doesn't get very broad. Again, you can take a look at it because if it was, if it was broader than that, you look at the intensity with which... Fagan and Porcaro would would push on all these assembly races. Yeah, yeah, and, right. And, and move and the needle. They, one they got they up. got zero. Yeah, they got zero. I mean, they got no, no wins. Although they would project it, Fagan would say, "You know, we've we've won. It's done." I gotta say, at least with Fagan, I mean, some of the stuff was so out there, it was just well, like hard to look. But but he was he was he's actually entertaining. He's he entertaining was, to listen. He to. was except that you know when he initially got on the air. Um, I don't know when you came up here, but when I started fighting Pebble Mine. And he was on there. You know, he would be on the air every day saying, Art Hackney is destroying the state of Alaska. Yeah. Art Hackney ought to be in jail. He ought no, to be he, in he's, jail. He, he was, he's extremely, yeah. He's, and and he's, he ended up so, apologizing for it. He went through sort of a, a rebirth or something like that. And well, then, he's and gone then through. he went back again afterwards. But he, he went for a long period of time where he then actually went on the air and said, I want to apologize to Art Hackney. He's gone through over the years several re, you know rebirths, like you say. He's really angry. He's he's caustic. He says horrible things, and then he has this kind of moment where he comes to Jesus and he apologizes and he's contrite, and then he goes again, and then he and then he has these. It's like these ups and downs, right? He's angry, mad, threatening, and then he's apologetic and nice, and then he goes back. So I don't know if he's going to come back now. He's off the radio for a while, but I guess yeah, we'll, we'll, well see. I think, I think he he belongs on the golf course. Well, it's been great talking to you. We should do this again. I mean, you got so many stories and so much mm-hmm. insight, and I think we could we could no, talk forever. No, you want to get into the minutia of specific campaigns and what's moved them and everything. I mean, I have lived and breathed those campaigns. The there. 
I've lived and breathed campaigns going back a long, long, long time. Yeah, no, we'll we'll, we'll do it again. I mean, there's so much I, I could just even now think of so many more things to ask you about. But um, yeah, it's it's been great, and um, and you're uh, it's summertime, so I I guess it's an off year, so maybe we're all taking a little bit of a break. But it's gonna next year. We got the the U.S. House race. There's a mayor's race coming up. There's 50 legislative races, so it'll it'll be you know it's not going to be as crazy as last time because no governor, no U.S. Senate, so just one statewide, but. There'll be, um, there'll be, you know, the mayor's race is already starting to heat up. With uh, next time you come on, we'll talk about that because that that could be a whole other separate podcast about that dynamic. Yeah, and it'll probably be more salient um, a month or so down yeah, the road. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, well, Art Hackney with Hackney and Hackney, a uh, good good buddy of mine. I've known you for a long time and always yep. a big fan. Really happy you're able you're, to come on. You're you're one of the smart people, so I am, oh, am I to you. That's a scary thought. All right. <laughs> Thanks again for coming on, Art Hackney, and folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline